2: This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes.
3: All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers.
4: Are we going to sing a Dumpty Dum? Oh, crumbs, yes. I'm not going to, with mics too close. but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's got uh, the finest larynx here. We should maybe count Nicola. us in. G-
5: give
6: us a.
4: <laughs> Come on, I didn't stop you yesterday. No, no, I not <laughs> me, recorded it yesterday.
5: Well, we actually have um, Dan, the recording man, who's recording us. so on,
7: then. I thought actually it did get a bit funereal yesterday. Yeah. Let's do it. Keep jaunty, it jaunty. Yeah. jaunty. Yeah.
4: Oh that's a Turn good plan. are oh. yeah, we don't. Are we, done? Are we always able to do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
7: One, two, three. Dum dum ti dum 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 ti dum ti dum dum ti dum ti dum ti dum
8: dum ti dum ti dum 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 dum
4: This week's Dumpty Dum is from the live recording in Birmingham. Oh, what an introduction it had too. <laughs> and this is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama
9: that is centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the windblown Eurovision power ballad who is known as Stephen Bowden and I'm here today with the woman with the je ne sais quoi who
4: is... Jacqueline Berthaud from Brittany in France. And we are, of course, joined by the epitome of British comedy, well, and a bit of American. And that's you, our lovely caller innerers, email and WhatsApp innerers. On this episode, we have a very charming group of caller We hear from Tracy in California, who wants to find someone to rough rob up. Ooh. Jan Mitchell from Vancouver, who is wondering what is the future for Helen? It's complicated. Paula from Philadelphia, a new, um, a new caller in her who defends Lee. Jen, Ambridge Pony Club, who is not a happy bunny. David Thomas, who has found the week difficult. Rob Williams, who wasn't drunk, but is explaining about Helen again. Witherspoon, who is having another mini-meet-up in New York, lucky man. Claire from Clapham, who is playing some very tiny violins and... Glyn Fuller love who will be glad when Eurovision is
9: over. With so many calls, we won't have time for one of my two minute histories. But don't worry, they'll be back next week with the history of Brookfield Farm. But we do have Tweet of the Week from Purple Pumpkin, our Theo, and we have the social roundup from our
4: Philippa. But first, let's look at the week in Ambridge from our Suey, Queen or Tart. <laughs>
6: Hello lovely people, it's Suey Queen or Tart on the Twitters here and another week in Ambridge. I trust this week we're operating with no technical issues. I'm crossing my fingers and thanks very much to P&Q for sorting things out and getting something for you to listen to last week. Just our luck it was the week I was doing both. Anyway it's a new week then and hooray it's a Kerry week. Leonard volunteered for a repair cafe in Pennyhasset as part of the big help out. He did not volunteer but got his arm twisted into being Eddie's partner in a comedy double act. Eddie's determined he's going to make Leonard funny. Oh dear. The Coronation Illuminations is apparently good for all aspects of the bridge farm business. Rebecca, a reporter from the Borchester Echo, wanted an interview with Helen. She reared up like a honey badger and snarled at her. David came to the rescue to be photographed and tried to get an interview on the Brookfield initiatives so sufficiently dull for Rebecca to talk to Helen about her cheese making. How very stultifying. Then they got it all wrong in the article. David is not a happy camper and wants the caption clarified. Maybe he can get an article out of it. Fat chance. Linda booted Ardil out of Ambridge Hall so that Ryland could stay for the Eurovision show. Regardless of how plausible it is that he'd go to Ambridge on the way to Liverpool when he's already there. To pacify Ryland, Lindy has passed him off to Linda as his new host at the Dower House. I foresee much gin in her future at least. Sounds like Lindybottom will also need spirits to get through the vetting rehearsals for Eurovision. So far we have Kirsty and Helen making Spanish fritters whilst panicking about whether Rob, no tune of Titchener, is back. Leonard and Eddie as the English with a series of jokes delivered as impersonations of Linda and Harrison, which Ryland will never understand. They were being hilarious, according to Tracy. I'm not so sure I agree with her. There's the Brookfield yodelers and Freddy's doing a mini mix of (laughs) Swedish bangers. Jazza and Tracy should have been doing their Azerbaijani wrestling, but that was thwarted by Jazza getting run down by a silent, stealthy electric car. Jim practically rubbed his hands in glee at more munitions for the anti-EV station propaganda. The painting, yes, that painting, has been sabotaged and the trustees will be right miffed about it. One of them, Brandon, came to find out what has happened. Elizabeth took full responsibility for the damage caused but under questioning it had to admit she had no oversight of the removal procedure herself because Freddie supervised it. The trustees are going to review when Freddie should inherit. I felt quite sorry for him for a short while, and then he turned into whiny Freddy and said he was taking his bat home and didn't want to share his sweet. Oh dear. Lillian discovered how hard finding an EV station can be. Ardil was triggered by Jazza's accident as his wife Sabhert was killed in a hit and run incident. There is definitely more to Ardill. We want to know. There was a bit of actual farming. I know, farming at Brockfield. David and Ben were talking about it and then Ben is going to jump into a tractor in between his ships at the Laurels. Then Ryland interrupted them as he'd got lost following his satnav. They took him into the farmhouse, he was bribed with Jules' cake and they tried to get him to stay at Brookfield. Mick and Ryland are clearly best buddies, Lindy Bosson was right put out that Brookfield had been looking after him, and he was not happy that Ardill had been relocated. It was a kidnapping no less relocated to Joyce, who always has rooms made up for her family. Such optimism. All is going far too well at Bridge Farm with Rogation Sunday and plans to work with Kirsty on bringing back past traditions, so time to break all of that joy up with a silent phone call into the shop. Toof, 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 as they say. Till next
4: week then, my lovedies. Hope it's a good one. so that was quite a packed week in Ambridge I think Sue very much uh, hit all the buttons there didn't she? There has been a lot of stuff
9: different stuff going on.
4: It's... Yeah now before we start our little discussion about the week in Ambridge Stephen I just wanted to ask you because a lot of people know you as the voice of the histories a bit of a know-it-all maybe on, uh, on or you're, uh, you're able to look up things very well. <laughs> um, so but tell us about you how long have you been listening to The Archers?
9: So I've been listening to The Archers as long as I can remember because my mother used to listen, and I have a a memory from probably when I was about seven or eight, so this is the late 60s, of um, asking who that man with a funny voice was, um, the one in question being Jack Woolley, ah. uh, who, whose um, Brummie accent really stood out amongst the uh, the rest of them because at that point I think pretty much all the Archers, all the main characters, were speaking very much with a, a received pronunciation Uh, voice, and so you just have the oddities like uh, Tom Forrest, Walter Gabriel, and Jack Woolley. Yeah. But I started uh, listening on my, sort of independently, as it were, I think when I was at university, so that's beginning of the 80s, and my favourite character back then was Nelson Gabriel, quite definitely. He was the sort of person I aspired to be with that smooth, slick voice, but uh, it didn't really turn out quite that way. (laughs) But, him, you know, it, it was all the scenes at Nelson's wine bar with Shuler and Caroline and
4: um, yeah, brilliant imparting
9: his wisdom. So that that's where I started from. I've had a few phases when I've sort of tuned out and, and I really hated the Rob and Helen yeah. storyline. That was, uh, I thought that really damaged the programme because it was just too focused on that one storyline. And Kerry said when we were in Birmingham that uh, while that was going on, they totally failed to do all the normal birth, marriages, and death stuff to keep the program going, and so they found they had a whole, a huge hole in the uh, the future storylines.
4: Yeah, and how do you feel about the fact that we're rumbling along with the uh, Helen's um, Rob in her head problem at the moment?
9: Well, I think it very much is a the whole bit at the moment is very much Rob in her head. So we've had we've shown both Helen and uh, Pat panicking on on a regular basis simply because rob is in the country but my v- prediction is that rob is not going to show up at all that uh, phone call at the end of friday's episode i'm convinced that that was just a probably a, somebody from a call center yeah. or um some, some a wrong number or something like that but but there, we all get silent calls every so yeah. often um usually from unknown numbers i'd have thought that if if it was helen she'd probably well, I suppose Rob wouldn't necessarily be using any number that Helen knew. But why would he be doing this? I, no, I well, that... I don't
4: know about you, but I don't answer. I don't answer calls that I don't recognise the number at all, uh, especially if they're kind of like a, a weird number. So so how? what about the rest of the week in Ambridge? How did you get on with the Eurovision uh, stuff?
9: I, I'm not a fan of the celebrity inserts. So whenever we have a storyline... Uh, that uh, involves a celebrity, it's always a bit cringe-inducing. Actually, I thought Ryland was a much better actor than he had any right to be, a a lot better than who's the last one we had
4: jackie weaver jackie weaver yeah she was quite good but i have to say i was impressed with rylan because uh he just sounded like in fact he sounds like somebody i know who was born and brought up in uh highbury in islington and uh, would very happily talk about a north london derby i thought the way that you know the gps but what i took away from that whole thing was linda's reaction yes I, uh, sorry 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 to interrupt
9: no, no, so, yes, yeah, she, she was uh, incredibly competitive, but I think that's really just the way she is.
4: Yeah, because I, I don't know about you, but I go through a love-hate relationship with Linda. There are times when she has been so lovely, so vulnerable, so kind, you know, coming from a good place, like dealing with Freddie, dealing with, oh, crumbs, I've forgotten the name, of the slave uh, who was injured and then was lost and then was found. Blake. Um, and... Then she comes across as this person that you want to slap. She's so haughty. So good on Mick for kidnapping Rylan. Yes, I
9: enjoyed it. My, my main listening mode for The Archers is schadenfreude. I take delight in the misfortune of all the characters. So uh, it, yes. all that sort of thing works perfectly for me.
4: So I hope you didn't enjoy Jazza getting his ankle broken. No, but...
9: I'm not a huge fan of jazz,er. I'm afraid. I remember the Ketterman days, the uh, uh, irresponsible Milkman days. Uh, I I, I don't join in the great jazzer love fest that seems to be happening at the moment.
4: Mm, I I know. In fact, he's grown on me since he's been with Tracy and he's uh, obviously in love with her. And he's brilliant with Chelsea and uh, Brad, but I still cringe at all those those antics, as they described them on uh, on the the pseudo stagnite no horrible they don't don't like it and don't appreciate it I don't forgive easily me neither <laughs> right, shall we get on to the important bit, which is you, our call from now hello, average three nine six two Hi
10: Philippa and
11: Quentin. Uh, This is Tracy from California. I I haven't called in for a long time, so I'm definitely glad to hear your voices back on the air, Um, and I know I'm too late for this week's broadcast, but um, my statement is global. So the storyline with Helen and Rob Titchener has been driving me bananas, because everybody keeps talking about Helen and taking control away from her, and like her attitude about it, I've never been a big fan of Helen, full disclosure, but... Um, her whole attitude about this situation is so selfish. She's like, I wanna have control. He he's not gonna take control and make us live our lives differently. Of course he's going to. He's a psychopath. He's already in your lives. So there's nothing you can do about it. And you can and pretending like he's not there is not gonna help. Um, I was sad that they shut Pat down when she tried to talk some sense into Helen, and everybody was like, You you gotta let Helen handle it. I'm like, Helen is not the only person whose life is affected by this situation. Additionally, when Pat was like, I had a dream, I shot him. Look at what he turned me into. I'm like, what? A person who wants to protect their family by any means necessary? Uh, I think that's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what else are you going to do? If Rob Titchener shows up and starts trying to attack Helen or whatever he decides he's going to do, what are you going to do? Stand there and cry and tell him to stop? That's not going to do anything. Or or uh, throw cheese at him. Or set up a whole bunch of booby traps Like your Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone It's ridiculous You're going to have to shoot him more than likely Just get over it child Oil up your gun <laughs> And maybe this is me coming from America I know it's a terrible thing to say But honestly what else are you going to do The man is nuts And he's lost everything that's dear to him So anyway um, That's my one minute rant Still love the show Still um, really enjoying being in the community All right, y'all. Bye.
9: But in fact, that wasn't all that uh, Tracy had to say. She came back with a little bit more. So here it is.
11: Okay. Tracy from California again. I'm sorry. I'm working late. And this just popped up in my head. So also with this whole Helen thing, doesn't she have any rough relatives? It seems like everybody has at least one or two rough relatives tucked away somewhere. She doesn't have any cockney cousins that could go and find Rob and be like, look here, Rob. Check this out. Don't go to Ambridge and don't let us catch you bothering Helen. That's all we're gonna say. Just know, we found you. We can find you again. Don't go to Ambridge. period. <laughs> Why you know admit, again, it might just be America. <laughs> but I don't think so. Like I've seen plenty of plenty of ruffians in England. You mean to tell me they don't have any rough cousins or rough somebody. That could go and find him and let him know that it would behoove him to stay out of Ambridge. I'm just saying. I mean, that's a, that's a viable solution. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, that's my thought.
4: <laughs> that's hilarious, Tracy. The first call, yeah, I under, I could see where she was coming from, but the rough relatives call had me laughing out loud. What did you think of that, Stephen? <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think the uh,
9: the proposal that uh, they should shoot Rob if he turns up is probably a bit extreme for Borchester. Uh, I, th- I think that uh, the uh, the, the, uh, the the police don't take quite the same view of uh, people going around shooting people as perhaps they do in some parts of the state. But yes, in in that second call, Tracy was asking about whether Helen had any. Did she? Did she say Cockney cousins? Yeah, Cockney cousins. Well. I think she probably does because if you remember her grandmother was Peggy whose mother was Mrs P who was a Cockney from the East End Indeed. Uh, and so I don't think Peggy had any brothers or sisters but assuming that, that Mrs P had uh, other had brothers and sisters and so forth then um, Helen definitely has some Cockney third cousins mm. but I don't know how easy. I don't think they were in touch with them and, of course, the alternative is, on the other side of the family, her mother was Pat Lewis, and of, of Welsh background, and Pat had an uncle, Hayden Evans. So there, there are probably a load of Lewises and Evans somewhere mm. in Wales. Uh, they don't see very much of them. I mean, it's one of the interesting things about the arrival of Nova and Saren, and, and, and Natasha indeed, that there's so much Welshness, but Pat never seems to talk about her own mm. Welshness. Mm. But there are cousins out there.
4: Good. Well, we'll, let's hope that Tracy's wish comes true. I don't think it's going to happen. This is Ambridge. And this was a Kerry Davies week. So um, getting a little well-rounded story about everything, including Helen. And he talked to us, didn't he, in Birmingham and talked on that podcast that Royfield put out saying, yeah, what we like is the fact that we can see that Helen has got Rob in her head. And that is what's going to drive people crazy. And I think we're going to come up with a bit more about Helen in a couple of more calls, including
9: the next one from from Jan in Vancouver.
2: Oh, hello, uh, podcast hosts. I'm not sure who's hosting this week, so my apologies. Um, it's Jan Mitchell calling from Vancouver. And I was listening away today to um, the whole uh, Helen in the garden with David and the sneaky... Uh, journalist that was talking with her, getting a sneak photo of her, as I am sure, uh, and I, it occurred to me that this could cause her a lot of problems in terms of the legal thing that's going on, uh, where they're hoping to charge Rob. If this gets out in the paper and the story is uh, regurgitated by the journalist, I wonder I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know, but I wonder if that could make their case null and void. So that's my prediction or my concern for this coming next few weeks. That's everything. I hope everybody's well in Dumpty Dum Land, and all the best.
9: So Jacqueline, what did you think of the risk that that journalist is going to cause trouble?
4: Well. I didn't really feel that uh, the woman journalist would go down that line with Helen. But I was very suspicious about David being there next to his cousin, talking and then him trying to get the article about Brookfield. That was all going to go wrong in my mind, uh, which by the end of the week we knew he was not happy with the outcome of that. So uh, I don't quite agree with Jan on that one. And what about you? The the legal issue at the moment is
9: whether or not they can prosecute Rob for the attempted abduction of Jack. And, yeah, and how long could... ago was that? Now you're asking. It must have been four,
4: five years ago. How old was he at the time? I, I can't remember. I can't remember either. Gosh, we're showing thou, uh, you are showing your lack of knowledge. I'm known for it. <laughs> <laughs> no,
9: it, it's, it's my, my problem is with time. Yeah. With COVID, uh, I've completely lost track of how long ago things were. And I, I think something was two years ago. It turns out it was five years ago.
4: Yeah. Those, so I think a lot of us have got that kind of two-year black hole. <laughs> I, so I, I don't think there's
9: anything that the reporter can report that's going to be problematic because everything that the reporter knows is is public knowledge anyway. I mean, Helen's trial and so forth. So I, I don't think that Jan needs to worry unduly about uh, the risk of no. that.
4: I agree. There's one thing about the Helen and Bridge Farm and the publicity. They've had this um, the the illuminations. They've had open days. They've had the uh, the having the Regation Sunday, the beating of the bounds on this coming Sunday. They. I'm very concerned about this organic farm and how many people are wandering over it. So, and that that's a concern at the back of my mind. I know a lot of people on social media are concerned about whether Rob's going to be coming appear in the window or become a visitor or whatever. That, but if we just put the Rob story aside, I'm concerned about you know biosecurity on the farm. That's a question, isn't
9: it? Yeah, and this whole Rogation Sunday thing. As you say, Rogation Sunday—the the big tradition, of Rogation Sunday—is beating the bounds of the parish, mm, not and just a farm. So having it, not just a farm. Exactly. I remember it was ooh, 1999 that they they certainly had a regation story with Janet walking the bounds of all four parishes, which was quite quite a long walk, <sighs> a marathon. I, I, yeah, I think she was involved in in some other march at the time. and was planning a sort of, it was training, sort of doing twenty miles a day. Um, mm. But the the bounds of the four parishes combined is pretty big, so quite what yeah. they're doing on um, on Bridge Farm, I don't hosting know.
4: nibbles and drinks. I think at the end that'll be it. But we shall see on Sunday, shall we?
9: Yes.
4: <laughs> shall we move on to our next caller? Indeed.
9: And this is a first time caller in.
0: Hello, dumpty dummers. My name is Paula, and I'm calling from Philadelphia. This is my first time calling in, and following the old school rules, I'll state my vintage is I. Thank the sperm donor who begat Henry Archer, and for work, I'm a professor of sociology. I also want to say a quick thanks to Witherspoon for organizing our American meetup a few weeks ago, and thank all of the Dumpty Dum hosts for keeping a good thing going. So I'm calling in in defense of Lee. I realize this may be an unpopular position, but I have a hard time understanding what makes him so objectionable. To me, he's a man who values honesty and transparency, and that's exactly what Helen needs. It seems like he messed up his first marriage and has achieved the self-awareness to do better in his current relationship. He genuinely loves Helen and he treats her as an equal partner and it seems like he does his share of the household labor. He's stepped pretty convincingly into the role of being a father figure to Henry and Jack and seems to have earned their trust. And I think most critically he's a model of confident masculinity. He isn't afraid to express his feelings and he isn't afraid of Helen's feelings. Other men in Ambridge are similarly evolved, including Harrison, Paul, and maybe increasingly Jazzer, but only Lee seems to be regarded as weak. So, I mean, is it because of the superhero collection? I mean, what a small price to pay to have a caring partner. I think we've all recognized that the script writers have been trying to tackle the topic of men's unmet mental health needs through the storylines about Will, Grundy's grief, and Ben's response to Chelsea's pregnancy. And the scriptwriters have also used Vince, George, and Rob to demonstrate the corrosive impact of toxic masculinity. So I appreciate that Lee is there to balance things out, but I remain very curious to hear from the rest of you what it is I'm missing that makes him so unappealing. So please do tell. Thanks again. Are you a fan, Stephen?
9: A fan of Lee? Hmm. No. Now, Paula is a professor of sociology and is approaching this from a very sensible objective viewpoint and sees all the good features, the objectively good features about Lee, the fact that he's not loaded down with toxic masculinity, the fact that he's evolved, as she said, though interestingly she suggested that Jazza was also evolved, and I'm really not convinced that he is. I think
4: think she said he was evolving. Yes,
9: I think he's still got a a long way to go. He's probably somewhere in the Permian period, which is even before the dinosaurs. (laughs) But anyway... So I I come at it in a different way which is entirely subjective and prejudiced and basically I can't get over the white trainers.
4: That's interesting because in fact I don't object to Lee. Uh, I feel quite positive about him. I think he is a positive role model for those boys which they definitely need because otherwise they've got Tom who's as far as I can see, is their uncle is very hands off. Apart from they've tried to connect them a bit recently since he's become a father. Tony, Tony is obviously been very involved with the, the uh, Henry and Jack in their lives, but I, you know, a grandfather who's actually a bit of a doddery man and had his, had his own health problems and. I don't think so. I'm very pleased that Lee's there as a good role model for the future generation. I don't know how he puts up with Helen because my thoughts on Helen are well known. Sorry, Witherspoon. And I can see where she's coming from, Paula, because it's a very good, well thought out argument. Could could have made an academic archer's paper, that one. Absolutely. A very professional
9: approach to it.
4: Thank you for being a first time caller in our Paula. delighted to hear from you and um delighted that you got to go to that uh, meetup so now you know the inside of my ear intimately <laughs> as I tried to hear what everybody was saying so there we go <laughs> call in again please.
9: Yes please do and now we'll go from a first time caller in to one of our regular caller in it's uh, Jen.
3: Greetings everyone in dum-dee-dum land uh Jen calling in and apologies if you hear any irate chihuahuas in the background. Um just thinking about the week, we had a slightly unusual week. Uh Jazzer had a, a Tuesday cliffhanger, and fortunately it's no worse than a broken ankle. But why did we have to have drama around that? Why you know why can't Jazzer and Tracy, who haven't had a lot nice happening lately, have something good, have an enjoyable wedding, have a smooth run up to it. Maybe even have that Ambridge fairy that goes around dropping money everywhere, you know, perhaps Julian would have given them the bowl for free, as personally I think she should have done. um maybe they would have won something at one of these blooming wedding fairs that they got a really nice package for the wedding or a honeymoon or just something nice. I mean, does it have to be unremittingly awful for the lower class characters all the time and I do think there's a bit of a class thing there it thinking about it it's really like Tracy and Jazza are being stepped up to be the Eddie and Clary where every time they think they've got life straight or something good's happening they have to be hit by something miserable and I think we're meant to take pleasure in that or find it funny or I don't know what it is but I don't like it and I would like to see just some nice happy storylines particularly for the lower class characters and I really hope that Chelsea and Brad, two of the nicest kids in the village, are allowed to go on in their lives and get their degree, maybe become, you know, maybe Brad could be the very, very much needed farm accountant, business advisor that the village has been crying out for. Um, Let Chelsea have a thriving hairdressing business and let them buy nice houses and progress and have an easier life than Tracy and not have this thing where people are just trapped like the Grundies forever.
4: Well, yes, I completely agree with Jen. Well, I want some happy, happy storylines. Why has Jazza managed to break his ankle and they're talking, you know, he can't work. He's already cheesed off Martin just before his accident. But I I feel very cross as well. Sorry, Kerry, if you're listening. (laughs) I can understand why we get this
9: situation. I think, obviously, we need to have drama and misfortune gives us drama. And I think we need to have big strategic drama, and the obvious one there is, which we haven't touched on uh, this week at all, and, and it's, but it'll probably come back soon, is the future of Home Farm, the fact that the succession is completely unplanned and so forth. So that's a really big, strategic, dramatic story playing out over a long period of time. But we need also to have tactical drama to keep the things going on and on. And it's a lot easier to have tactical drama with these characters who don't have big things around them they don't they're not running a, a farm or a, a stately home they're just living small everyday lives like the vast majority of us and the only way you can get drama there is by having misfortune because good fortune just doesn't doesn't give you the drama uh the, the dramatic stuff that you need so i i think that that's the case one thing though i was going to say about the Horbins this week brad going to the pub with tracy that was very odd. I mean, yes, he's been grounded, but isn't Brad the sort of boy who would uh, ground himself, even if there was nobody there to oversee him? He's genuinely sorry for what he did, so he's going to do his bit without having to be dragged to the pub.
4: Yeah, I thought that was very weird. I, I didn't understand it. I think that Tracy could have shown more trust in Brad and not taken him to the pub with her. I mean, there's nowhere worse to do your homework than in a pub, surely. So I want to be in a silent room. Well, there we are.
2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So
9: the best and easiest way for you to record a message or a plot prediction is to go to www.speakpipe.com slash And don't forget it's a T in the middle and you'll also find a link in the show notes
4: or you can send us a voice note via WhatsApp on +447957167696 Now, next week, Philippo and Katie shall be recording because I'm away at a wedding. And Dumpty Dum is going to be recording on Saturday, so please can we have calls and emails in by Friday night again. Sorry, this really cuts out people from the the omnibus listen-along, but it's just the way the cookie's crumbling at the moment. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes and bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part. And we need your help. There
9: are three things you can do. First of all, if you haven't already hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast streamer you use. So please do that right
4: now. Secondly, give us a review. It'd be hu- hugely appreciated, well, especially if it's on Apple Podcasts because that helps us. And of course, a five-star review always goes down well. But no matter how many stars you give us, we'd all- we will always try to mention them on the podcast Finally, the third thing is that you could consider becoming a Patreon. Patreon is a way of tipping creators and there are different levels with different rewards. If you just go to patreon.com and search for Dumb T Dumb, I would be delighted to have your support. You can also go to dumptydum.com, our own website, and hit the donate button for a one-off donation. So, should we go back to our calls now, Stephen?
12: Yep, and next up is Rob Williams. Hello there, Jacqueline and Stephen and Dumpty Dummers around the world. Rob Williams speaking. Congratulations, Stephen, on your Dumpty Dum debut. Well, it's not really your debut, because you were there in the live thing, weren't you? But debut as host, I'm sure you all know what I mean. Again, I'm speaking pretty much without notes, much in the same way that I sing. Uh, I was just thinking, there was the big fuffle at Birmingham. Uh, Sonny and Kerry couldn't understand why people hated Helen. And, to be honest, I think she demonstrated it tonight. You were watching some film or other, I, I could just hear the violins going in the background, so it was obviously a ten- tense moment. And Kirsty says, the last time I saw this film, it was with my convicted, slave-dealing husband, former husband, uh, who's now inside at His Majesty's Pleasure, to which Helen said, nothing. Until Kirsty had to say, if you don't want to watch it, we'll stop. Again, Kirsty is just saying how she's been through this horrendous trauma, da-da-da-da-da, and her friend just sits there and thinks of her. Ah, that possibly is why we don't like her. I mean, I know, what's her name, Louisa Patecas, who plays Helen, is probably a wonderful person and very delightful in real life, but she plays Helen really well, she has written really well, and we all just don't like her sorry that's the way it goes anywho oh and also sorry to witherspoon him saying that we should be kinder to her she doesn't do herself any favors really mind you having said that i can see this going the same way as george (laughs) i'll probably phone up in the middle of the week rotten drunk and say how actually she's wonderful (laughs) take care all bye yeah,
4: brilliant call. Thank you, Rob. Now, Rob sent that message in on Messenger, a voice note. It's actually preferable to us for getting it onto the onto the show. If you can send messages into our WhatsApp number or via the SpeakPipe button or on our website. So I, don't, I can't really say anything more about the Helen story. I think everybody knows how I feel about her. So uh, do you want to add anything? <laughs> I was just wondering, I think
9: I, I tend to agree with Rob about Helen, but maybe at the moment this is all part of the showing how affected Helen is by the fear of Rob and so that she was watching the film with Kirstie but her mind was completely elsewhere. But yeah, no, I wouldn't want to come across in any way as uh, sympathetic towards Helen because <laughs> fundamentally I'm, I'm not... Um, So we'll move from one Welshman to another
1: one. Brynham Dard, Empty Dumbers, and whoever's presenting the podcast this week. Visima eto, it's David from Carmarthenshire. Well, I was calling in to say what a dire week it's been on The Archers. I'm so sick of this whole Eurovision storyline. As a lifelong fan of the competition, it's managed to suck all of the joy out of it for (laughs) me this year, and I can't wait for it to be over. Suddenly, everybody in The Archers loves Eurovision. We've never heard that before. And also this idea that people are going to be falling over themselves to take part in some stupid competition. Well, in the village where I live in rural Wales, we have to be marched at gunpoint to the village hall to do anything except the ice deadwoods and young farmers and clog dancing. People are just too busy. They haven't got the time. And somebody like Linda would have been run out of town with a pitchfork years ago. <laughs> Nobody would put up with that in this day and age. But anyway, so all of the holes in the Eurovision plot line have been well rehearsed on Facebook and Twitter this week, I see. I won't go into those again. But anyway i was calling to say what a terrible week it's been but it actually redeemed itself at the last minute we've had the freddy storyline we've had a tantalizing glimpse of ardill's backstory now where was helen that night when poor ardill's wife was mowed down at the bus stop i wonder where she could have been she's got four months in that department just ask my tucker and as for poor freddy it wasn't life simpler when people bought their paintings from boots what he needs is a nice scene of white horses running, running along the seashore at midnight that would make life a whole lot easier for him, wouldn't it? Anyway, looking forward to next week, Presumption of Normality, when this cont- song contest is over, we can all get back to normal. Anyway, diolch yn fawr. Hoi Bye. thank you David that,
4: yes I agree with David uh, to a certain extent that uh, the ardil and the Freddy storylines definitely plus for me the Rylan story at the very end of the Ryland story's arrival that last episode um, definitely rounded off the week nicely but I haven't been upset by the Eurovision competition thing and I live in a village about the size of Ambridge and last night we had one of our annual village events and you get free drinks if you go disguised so of course, a lot of people do go disguised. And it was a, ve- a very, very good evening. And uh, I've just put a post on Instagram. So if anybody follows me on Instagram, you can see what life is like for normal people in Sanguen on a Friday evening, only once a year.
9: <laughs> but David is right. I don't remember, and I, I can't find any trace of, of Eurovision ever having been uh, featured on the Archers before. But then Harrison is a relatively newcomer and a lot of the enthusiasm is coming from a combination of Harrison and Paul, who is brand new, and it's just Linda is getting looped in. And I can imagine that Linda is the sort who, while she keeps very little of herself private, would keep any love of Eurovision, perhaps between just her, Robert, and maybe Lillian. So that's a fair point. I I, I thought the Ardeal stuff was um, was interesting. It's It's one of the first things... We've actually heard about Ardill that sort of makes him a character of, in his own right. As for the painting and, and Freddie, I think we will may get on to Freddie in a bit uh, and the discussion of the trust and so forth. Uh, mm. But when it comes to white horses galloping a, along a seashore, I think while Russ was at Lower Loxley, that sort of thing would have been frowned upon very much. And I think even now, certainly I'd frown upon it. I can't imagine Elizabeth really wanting sort of Jack Vetriano type paintings on the on the walls.
4: <laughs> Indeed, and no uh, Siamese ladies with flowers behind their ears either So, who are we hearing from next?
9: Uh, we are hearing from a very long-standing friend mm. of the show Here he comes
1: Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Toss salads and scrambled eggs
13: Mercy Greetings, this is Witherspoon here without Angus Haggis Sitting here in Washington Square Park with two special guests. First, we have Amy from the Upper Upper West Side, and we have Bernadette all the way from Margate, England. So I'm going to pass the phone to them so they can say hello.
0: Hi, everybody. Um, this is Amy, who's been spending so much time following actual Eurovision that I haven't paid full attention to the Archer's version. But happy to talk to you all and to be meeting Bernadette for the first time.
11: Hello, this is Bernadette, Archers fan 2015. And I'm so pleased to be here with Witherspoon and Amy. And I haven't really been listening to the Archers because
13: I can't stand the Eurovision stuff
11: at the moment.
0: Uh (laughs) And yet we get along fine.
13: (laughs) And it's Witherspoon again just saying I thought Freddie had a particularly bad week. I know uh, they didn't treat him so well, but uh, he threw a little hissy fit, and he seems rather entitled. So let's put a microscope to him instead of to Helen. And I think uh, I don't like what Jim is doing. Uh, I hope he doesn't turn anti-electric vehicle as opposed to just regular old NIMBY, not in my backyard. But we'll see. This is being recorded before Friday's episode. So we don't know what's going to happen to conclude the week. So I'll conclude by saying talk to you soon.
9: Sounds like they were having a good time in um, Washington
4: Square isn't he brilliant with a spoon he any any of us that ends up going end up going through uh New York we can manage to meet up with him he spends a lot of time considering he was introduced to the archers by handsome husband he seems to have taken over their half of uh, their ha- their household with his uh, dumpty dum and archers uh, fandom which is brilliant so what about Freddie? When Brandon
9: first appeared, I was quite drawn to him because he outed himself as a fan of Prog Rock, which is what I am, more so than, say, standard Eurovision stuff. I am a bit concerned, though, that the trustees are talking about amending things so that Freddie doesn't inherit 25. I think we've got some more calls coming up, which will we'll cover that, so we might go into a, a bit more detail. But I'm not sure how easy it would be for the trustee to, to do that. But what I can say is that uh, Freddie, certainly his reaction demonstrated that he wasn't really in a fit state to take on the running
4: of a place like Lower Loxley. Indeed, I think I thought his as uh, with has been said. It's a bit of a hissy fit. It sounded very juvenile, and I think uh, the fact that he, he is not qualified to do anything. I mean, Lily is doing a course on estate management. I mean, he's doing practical things, working in the shop uh, and organizing things uh, in the restaurant, etc., and with the volunteers. But he's not actually doing anything about the management. And surely the head of Lower Loxley has to be. Even Nigel took on the management and development of of lower Loxley at the time so it'll be interesting to see
9: yes i agree and i think that while lily is learning how to run an estate like that she's always going to be at risk because freddie could have another hissy fit and and sack her on the spot and i think yeah. we've discussed in the past that's what happened at longleat uh, and it wasn't much fun for the brother who was actually running the place when he was just sacked so uh, that's i think lily's always going to be at risk of that
4: but hopefully, um, Freddie won't turn out to be quite as eccentric as that as the Marquis of Bath.
9: Let's hope not. Or <laughs> well, I might. Wif- you might be fun. For- wifelets or, or, or and so on—a yeah. very strange setup.
4: <laughs> it was, but in fact, uh, that might be quite fun for us. <laughs> it, it,
7: the it listener, might,
9: it might be uh, comic drama at Lower Locksley. Anyway, shall we move on to our next? Yes, call? definitely. <laughs>
7: Hi Dumb to Dumb, it's Claire from Clapham here. Well, what an interesting week in Ambridge. Let's get our tiny violins out, shall we? First tiny violin of the week, David Archer. Seriously, get a grip. Like, nobody cares about the byline on a photo in a local newspaper and whether it implies that you work at a different farm from the one you actually work at. No one cares. Give it up. Tiny violin two goes to Ben. And Linda for uh, squabbling over Rylan and then not getting to host him after all. Um, You know, that's also not the end of the world. What a bizarre encounter that whole thing was. Where was he coming from? Had he walked from the train station? Was he in the car? Who knows? Um, And then my tiny violin four goes to Freddie because... He might not get to inherit at 25. Maybe he'll get to inherit later. His mum's still and hearty. I'm not sure it's a massive issue. Uh Yeah, it's all a very strange thing. And we do need an explainer, please, from Stephen about the machinations of a trustee <laughs> arrangement and who can decide what and how. And yeah, there's a lot of confusion about that and I wouldn't mind uh, someone laying it out. So that would be fun. Uh No tiny violins for... um Uh, Jazza, who's genuinely hurt himself, really sorry to hear that, Um, but um, I suppose a tiny violin for Martin Gibson for getting uh, sort of uh, attacked by a um, protective (laughs) pig, who knows. (laughs) Let's hope that after the Eurovision stuff, this whole thing will calm down and stop being so nonsensical, and let's get back to some proper storylines, but I'd rather Rob didn't show up just yet. Um, I think this endless kind of, oh, is it him? Is it him? Is it him? Is like starting to lodge in all of our minds.
4: And that's a worry. Keep up the work just, you- And there she goes. Well, I have to say that I think Claire's coming from a similar place to me with all these uh, little stories. Freddie... Irritate, it irritated me. It was an interesting story and it was very interesting with, as you said, the, the accountant, the trustee. But um, yeah, I think that's in the future project for you there, Stephen. Uh, uh, Two-minute histories about trusts and lower lockslies.
9: Yes, well, as Usher might say, it's not really my area of expertise, <laughs> uh, the mechanics of trust arrangements and so forth. What I do understand, that the main point is that that trust was set up to carry out Nigel's wishes after his death. So I think that the trustees would need a really good reason to do anything that appeared to depart from Nigel's wishes. And -hmm. if those wishes were that Freddie should inherit at 25, then the fact that he's not very good at it is not, I think, a sufficient reason for the trust to turn around and do stuff. They would have to find him, I don't know, clinically insane or something like that They'd need to have a, a really positive reason because the the balance would be on the trust, you know, them having an obligation to to carry out what Nigel would have wished. And, and frankly, yes, Freddie is hopeless,
4: but Nigel was pretty hopeless at that age as well. Mm, indeed, yeah, it is really father like, uh, son like father. So um, the other thing is, I, I can assure you, uh, Claire, that Ryland did arrive in a car because he apologised about the tyre marks. So that solved that little mystery. But the, we already talked about the Ben and Linda squabbling over Ryland, so uh, I don't think we need to go there anymore. And what was the other thing? Oh, Jazza, she feels sorry that it was generally, generally been hurt. So, Well, he did break
9: his ankle. I was expecting it to be Ryland that had actually mown him down. Um, <laughs> but instead it turns out to be some random person, but in an electric vehicle just to give Jim a chance to get on a high horse.
4: Yeah, because we haven't really talked much about uh, Jim and his um, his reaction. I, he's definitely been nimbious now. He's been anti anti electric cars as well as anti the station, the charging station. So I'm, I'm not I'm not enjoying that storyline.
9: No, I I think we'll have to see how it pans out. There's room for plenty of conflict between Jim and Justin, and and Justin was pretty underhand in setting yeah. up the, the the whole arrangement. But I I think that uh, Jim appears to be losing support in the village. I think he's only really got Susan left on his side in his campaign.
4: What a team, eh? Absolutely. (laughs) right. plotting in the store cupboard. It's time for our final call.
5: Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glyn here. Uh, The good news is, by the time you hear this, the Eurovision (laughs) shenanigans on the Archers will be over. Don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of Eurovision, but I am not a fan of Eurovision Archer's shenanigans. Next, uh, let's deal with Friday's cliffhanger. Was that Rob? No, it was almost certainly something like one of these um, call centre farms uh, where they send out about 10 or 100 scam calls at the same time and just uh, answer the one that picks up first and if Helen had picked up slightly earlier, she would have been probably asked for her bank details or her Microsoft account number or something similar. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't Rob. Um, so the main thing for me for the week was Freddie and uh, I think he's probably been hard done by by the trustees. I would like to understand a bit more about the trust deed and what the trustees are actually supposed to be be doing what their duties is, but of course we won't hear that no no doubt you know Freddie could possibly take a legal action against them, but I must admit when he starts whining, my sympathy for him drops very dramatically and suddenly. I think it would be a good idea if he went somewhere quite a long long way away from Ambridge for a while to learn about managing an estate for example and that would do him and us a great deal of good right uh thank you for the podcast and speak to you again soon
13: bye
4: thank you for that glenn good to hear from you i think glenn has just confirmed that um everything that we've already said about the freddy thing including the not liking his whining and the eurovision thing you know i'm a fan of eurovision but not in the archers so uh you know i think we're all singing from the same songbook here glenn Probably apart from with the spoon. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Right. So now
9: let's hear what our social media gurus have been talking about on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page with our Philippa, who had to step in at last minute for Julia, who lost her voice. And Julia was actually stepping in for me. So (laughs) thank you very much, Philippa. Let's hear what you have.
8: Hello, you lovely lot. Well, Stephen's a little bit busy hosting the episode this week. So you've got me, Philippa, reporting for Facebook duty. Are you ready? So what have we been talking about this week? Well, frankly, there wasn't enough food chat, which I found very disappointing. Come on, you lot. Claire Hinkley admitted she was struggling to listen to the Archers at the moment and others were feeling her pain. But I'm duly reassured us that things will calm down after the Eurovision. Let's hope. There was much discussion about Freddie. Personally I'm a fan. It seems most people on the planet are not. There were particular questions about his maturity although Leo Horsmeyer made the point that the trustees have to demonstrate why Freddie is not up to running lower Loxley when he reaches 25. Not being very qualified, or he's a bit of a twit, is nowhere near enough to stop the control being passed to Freddie. Jan Mitchell was wondering who was driving the electric car that bashed Jazza. Who indeed, Jan? Heather Lovebond and Carol Walker had spotted a feature on The One Show on BBC One about Ryland visiting the Archers, and there was some discussion about how members of the cast didn't look as we imagined them. Isn't that always the way? Rob Williams found a source of lemon drizzle cake gin and Jacqueline Berto quickly brought it to my attention. I'm off soon to acquire several bottles. Rob was also speculating on who might have slashed the painting and suggestions from everyone included Russ, Rob Titchener, Mia, Lewis and Elizabeth. However, Louise Lawton suggested Professor Plum with a candlestick in the library. Victoria Bourne had had enough with the Ryland storyline as she couldn't see that Ryland could or would agree to visiting Ambridge at such a busy time for him. Witherspoon was happy that when he listens to The Archers on a Monday, he gets to listen to just a minute first. Gordon Bavard responded that The Archers is all hesitation, repetition and deviation. Glyn Fullerlove was wondering why Eddie would choose Leonard for a comedy partner. They haven't exactly spoken to each other much. There were discussions about the Eurovision. Lara Jackson noticed that she hadn't even seen Rylan on the television yet. There was talk about the Croatia Act and the one from Switzerland. However, I recorded this before Friday's episode of The Archers, so I imagine there will be a great deal more to see in the Facebook group now. So head there and have a look at everyone's reactions to what happened on the Friday episode. Thanks, you lovely lot. See you next week.
9: Thank you very much, Philippa, for that. And thank you also to everyone who's posted their thoughts on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. And now it's time to welcome the 11 new members to
4: that group. Yes, a very warm welcome to the lovely Janet Binky Lipton. Joe Cardwell. Kate Spencer. Sheena Hutchinson.
9: Angela Kelly. Deborah Kutsko. Julia Hansen Sarah Kate Merry who I met for the first time in face to face in Birmingham but we've been talking for a long while Oh that's nice Gainer Hassel Jock Urket and Vicky Krask. And so we go from our caller inners to our email inners Now we have two messages this week
4: Yes, the first one says... Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and dum dee everywhere. It's Andrea from beautiful Brittany. Firstly, thank you, Stephen, for your two-minute explainers. Keep them coming. I know a lot of the week has been taken up with where Ryland will be laying his head, but I've been thinking about more serious matters. The slashed painting. I'm annoyed at Lizzie for asking Freddie more than once if he did it. I have a plot prediction. It was the Lower Loxley Ghost... At first, I thought it could be the ghost of Julia, but she wouldn't be bothered by a little old ship. So I think it must be dear Nigel. He's found a way to come back. Hurrah! Obviously, Nigel would be as upset as Freddie that the Paget has benefited from slavery. Although, if he'd stopped to think about it at any moment, it's pretty good—a pretty good bet—that a stately home and money came from such sources. I used to feel smug coming from a long line of peasants, that my ancestors had nothing to do with the transatlantic slave trade. But in recent years, more more information has been available, or perhaps I've just been more aware of it. The podcast Human Resources by Moya Lothian McLean highlights how it wasn't just slave owners and traders who benefit, benefited Black country chains and iron were most definitely used, not just the manufacturer who advertised himself as a Negro collar and handcuff maker, but also chains, nails, guns, swords, and agricultural tools. The population of plantations rose from 300,000 in 1700 to over 3 million by 1776. That is a lot of iron. This is a report by Dr. Angela Osborne in 2022. So although my ancestors couldn't afford a stately home, they probably worked in the iron industry which paid for a roof over their heads and food for their families so I can no longer be too smug about not having a home like Lower Loxley. Have a good week, everyone. ta bit, Babs. That was a, a great in, uh, email from Andrea
9: and I f- actually feel the same way about connections to the slave trade. My Bowdoin ancestors were fairly poor cotton workers in Derbyshire and they certainly didn't own mills but they did make their living from working with cotton that in the earlier days was grown and harvested by enslaved people.
4: I'm sure that uh, my ancestors in Immingham and surrounding areas uh, were involved in some connection as well. But in fact, Immingham is famous for being one of the stopping places for the Pilgrim Fathers. So perhaps we're even more guilty for, for moving people from this continent to another. Indeed.
9: Anyway, we have a first time email in which is from Jill. Hello, Dumpty Dummers. It's Jill here from North Somerset, a first time email in I'm a long-term listener to The Archers, having discovered its joys in the mid-70s as part of my slightly unconventional teenage rebellion. No-one else in my family listens, so since discovering the podcast last year, I've loved hearing everyone's amusing on events in Ambridge. I'm not a social media user, so apologies if my observations this week have already been much discussed. In the wake of the coronation, I noticed media coverage calling for a change in our national anthem to something less dirge-like and more celebratory. I was immediately reminded of an old Billy Connolly routine in which he put forward exactly the same idea and imagined just how much more successful we could be as a nation with a more upbeat tune to inspire us. His suggestion? Change it to the Archer's theme tune. After hearing the rousing rendition from the Birmingham meetup, I'm inclined to agree with him. Have a good week. Jill.
4: Well, I love that idea, and it really just goes along a bit with all our versions, especially your versions and Marie Bray's versions of the dum tums that we've heard over the years. Yeah, great idea, Jill, and great to hear from you. Thank you.
9: And the great thing is that there are no official words, so we can make them up each time to fit the occasion.
4: (laughs) Very good point, Mr
9: Bowden. Anyway, did we receive any reviews this week?
4: Yes, we have. Now, we're still playing catch-up after Birmingham, so we have several reviews which we have received in the last month. And so this first one is not very positive, but it's from a very anonymous person, N-C-H-I-S-J-G-Y-C-I-E-B-D-O, that's their username, via Apple Podcasts. They gave us two stars, and they say, and this was posted on the 17th of April, so it could be about several people not just me and Royfield But I'm assuming it's about me and Royfield Because I'm like that Not the same I used to listen every week to this podcast And really enjoyed it But what the hell has happened Slow, unfunny conversations Presenters who seem to know not know enough about the Archers To be able to speak at length on any of the characters anymore And general banter is at an all-time low I think time for me to move on to other Archers podcasts It's been good while it lasted the second review came from Paul Newman and
9: was much more positive and we received five stars. And it goes like this Best Ever. This two part mashup special was the best ever. Laughter, tears, the fabulous Sunny and God like Kerry, along with R, J, P and Q, and Katie who gave me a name check in part one. It had everything, and I am so proud to be part of this global family. And that's from Polly Perks or Paul Newman. Ah, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Yes, much better. Uh, So more like that, please. Um, Now, (laughs) let's see what Theo, our Purple Pumpkin, has found to entertain us on Twitter this week with her Tweets of the Week.
10: Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. Please do keep them coming. The Archers on Twitter this week has been preoccupied with three topics at least two of which I think Philippa would approve of. Jen, Ambridge Pony Club, had everyone discussing their favourite type of cake and their favourite filling for toasted sandwiches. For Kirsty's birthday, of course. Though there's some mighty long and heated threads. (laughs) Meanwhile, Glyn Fullerlove, at Glyn12GH, asked if Pat had mistaken Jazza for Rob and given him both bores. A lot of people suggested who those two bores might be, Adam and Helen, Adam and Tom, Tom and Tony, and so on. But Angela Dobb at LMS Bossy pointed out that if it's a 12-bore shotgun, it'll have two barrels, and that makes 24 bores, which is more than the allotted speaking parts per week in the archers. And so we move to my medals for Tweets of the Week, with some regret that these are being compiled before the glorious omnibus tweet-along on Sunday. I'm resisting the urge to sing a second time in a row, so I'll simply recite the bronze medal offering from James A. at Exeter Dormouse, who has the Brookfield clan singing, there's a sad sort of clanging from the clock in the hall and the pips on Radio 4, and out in the farmyard, an archer with a scowl is popping out to say, oh no, (laughs) oh no. You can sing along for yourself if you'd like to. In silver, it's a double header. First, Eliza Bennett, at Eliza Bennett 3, asked, Oh my, did we know about Ardill's dead wife before today? There were many replies, but James Kintbury, at James Kintbury, offered, I suspect a, a scriptwriter only recently thought about it and decided it would be a good plot development. To which Eliza replied, poor Ardill's wife, not only dead, but an afterthought. And my gold medal goes to Catherine Ramsey, at K Ramsey 1997 who says, Ardil has arrived, a storyline all of his own, not related to any existing member of the cast. It's a bit like passing the Archer's Bechdel test. So while you all go and look up the Bechdel test, I'll say that's it for this week. See you all on Twitter next time. Do you know what the Bechdel test is?
9: Oh, I do. It's when you have. Shall I explain it? (laughs) Yes, please do. Please do. I've no idea. (laughs) It's based on it, it's in in films. And the uh, film passes the Bechdel test if it contains a scene in which there are two named female characters who have a conversation, and that conversation isn't
4: about men. We're here to educate you, not me, him. So, well, thank you for that, Theo, and congratulations to all of those who are mentioned in Purple Pumpkins Roundup, but especially those medal winners, James A. Exeter-Dormouse, Liza Bennett III, James Kintbury, and the gold medal winner, K. Ramsey, 1997. As you know, we're all on Twitter and you can find us at Dum, -dum, where you can join in the tweet along fun by using the hashtag TheArchers with a capital T and a capital A, which helps the visually impaired to join in the fun. And I can be found on Twitter as at JbertoSanguen. How about you, Stephen? I can be found at at Wenlock
9: House. And just going back to that review, which said that we didn't know what we were talking about, uh, I have just been racking my brains about the abduction And when it was uh, that we discussed earlier, and it was six years ago, just over six years ago, it was in the beginning of 2017. So anybody who's planning to call in about that, sorry, I've shot your fox. Anyway. Good for you. Good for you, Stephen. (laughs) Don't forget, we are on Instagram at Dumpty Dum, which is run by the very lovely Katie. So do follow us there.
4: Do you have an Instagram account?
9: I have an Instagram account, but I don't use it. So
4: I don't post anything. Oh, jolly good. <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram. I'm simply Jacqueline Berto. It remains just to say thank you as ever to all our lovely com- contributors, to our social media supremos. And as ever, we also thank Shambridge for her voices and to our podcasting parents, Lucy V Freeman and Roy Phil Brown. And I'd like to thank you, Stephen. It's been great. We... have <laughs> I know that you've got the edit to do now and um, I hope I wish you success with it. But uh, thank you for joining me and taking over the technical side because I really am rubbish at it.
9: Thank you. I've really enjoyed hosting. I just hope that our listeners have enjoyed it when they hear it as much as uh, we have when recording it and as for the editing I think we ran pretty smoothly so it won't be a very major job to do.
4: Oh, that's brilliant well um uh, thank you and I hope uh, this isn't just a cameo appearance a la Ryland and you'll come back uh, another day with me.
9: Uh, I will be happy to to come back and and do it again sometime.
4: Uh, thank you very much.
9: Okay bye and bye, bye everybody.
1: Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter.